Welcome to the Voo Church Podcast. How much does God have to bless you before you're happy? It can be easy to think having more will make us happy. More time, more money, more opportunities. The truth is, consumption does not lead to contentment. In this message, stop fooling around. Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. explores what it looks like to foolproof our finances and seek God first. For more resources from our collection, wait till I get my money right, visit voochurch.com slash money. Now let's lean into the message together. Anybody ready for the Word of God today? Come on, anybody ready for the Word of God today? All right, Luke chapter 12, starting verse 13. I'm excited to preach. Someone in the crowd said to him, the hymn is Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I wanna take this text today and I wanna preach from the subject, stop fooling around. Stop fooling around. And would you pray with me? I believe the Lord's gonna anoint these words. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that today, Lord, as we read it, God, it's quickly reading us. God, as we look to your word, Lord, it's always a mirror that's revealing in us what needs to change and be transformed according to what it is that you've spoken. God, change us today. Minister to us today. Lord, may this not just be a message that impacts the way that we think, but may it be a message that changes our heart. We love you. And in Jesus' mighty name, all of God's people said? Amen. All of God's people said? Amen. If you love Jesus, make some noise in this house. I, um, I, I read a book a couple of years ago that um, I feel like I've recommended it to so many people. Um, and it's not a Christian book. But the book is called The Psychology of Money, and it's been one of my favorite reads uh, around the area of finance, the area of stewardship. Uh, the, the premise of the book is it's not like a, um, an investment tool, but rather it's teaching us the way that we think about money. And I, I really can't recommend it enough. I think it's a very, very helpful read. But I wanted to read an excerpt from the book as we got started today in our study. And this is the excerpt that I chose. My favorite Wikipedia entry begins, Ronald James Reed was an American philanthropist, investor, janitor, and gas station attendant. 
Ronald Reed was born in rural Vermont. He was the first person in his family to graduate high school, made all the more impressed by the fact that he hitchhiked to campus each day. For those who knew Ronald Reed, there wasn't much else worth mentioning. His life was about as low key as they come. Reed fixed cars at a gas station for 25 years and swept floors at JCPenney for 17 years. He bought a two bedroom house for $12,000 at age 38 and lived there for the rest of his life. He was widowed at age 50 and never remarried. A friend recalled that his main hobby was chopping firewood. Reed died in 2014, age 92, which is when the humble rural janitor made international headlines. 2,813,000 Americans died in 2014. Fewer than 4,000 of them had a net worth of over $8 million when they passed away. Ronald Reed was one of them. In his will, the former janitor left $2 million to his stepkids and more than $6 million to his local hospital and library. Those who knew Reed were baffled. Where did he get all that money? It turned out there was no secret. There was no lottery win and no inheritance. Reed saved what little he could and invested it in blue chip stocks. Then he waited for decades on end as tiny savings compounded into more than $8 million. That's it, from janitor to philanthropist. A few months before Ronald Reed died, another man named Richard was in the news. Richard Fuscone was everything Ronald Reed was not, a Harvard-educated Merrill Lynch executive with an MBA. Fuscone had such successful career in finance and he retired in his 40s to become a philanthropist. Former Merrill CEO David Kaminsky praised Fuscone's business savvy, leadership skills, sound judgment, and personal integrity. One, Crane's business magazine once included him in 40s under 40 list of successful business people. But then, like the gold coin skipping tech ex executive, everything fell apart. In the mid 2000s, Fuscone borrowed heavily to expand an 18,000 square foot home in Greenwich, Connecticut, that had 11 bathrooms, two elevators, two pools, seven garages, and cost more than $90,000 a month to maintain. Then the 2008 financial crisis hit. The crisis hurt virtually everyone's finances. It apparently turned Friscone into dust. High debt and liquid ass assets left him bankrupt. I currently have no income, he allegedly told a bankruptcy judge in 2008. First, his Palm Beach house was foreclosed. In 2014, it was then the Greenwich Mansion's turn. Five months before Ronald Reed left his fortune to charity, Richard Fuscone's home, where guests recalled the thrill of dining and dancing atop a see-through covering on the home's indoor swimming pool, was sold in foreclosure auction for 75% less than an insurance company figured it was worth. Ronald Reed was patient. Richard Fuscone was greedy. That's all it took to eclipse the massive education an experience gap between the two. I, I want you to see this story today because this to me is a modern day illustration 
of Jesus's parable of the wise man who built on the rock and the foolish man who built on the sand. I wanna encourage all of us in this collection that we can all learn from God's word how to make sure that we put God in his proper order. We're talking in this collection uh, from the theme, wait till I get my money right. And I like the tagline even more than the title, managing, maximizing, and multiplying God's money. Because if you are a Christian, which many of us in the room today are, then we all operate from this premise that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Meaning everything I got is on loan from God. And so I have to look to God's word about what I'm supposed to do with God's stuff. Jesus himself said, seek first my kingdom and all these things shall be added unto you. What Jesus is telling us is that we must make him first of everything. Why? Because when you put God in his proper order, your life will stop feeling out of order. And today, I want us to look, if we can, towards this text as we're in part two of this collection. And I've titled today's message, Stop Fooling Around, because I want it to be a wake-up call for everybody in the room. I love that little illustration of Ronald and Richard. One guy's just a janitor, but at the end of his life, he has $8 million to give away. The other guy is highly educated, very, very wealthy, but greed robbed him of all of his riches. Luke chapter 12, I I think, is a beautiful text for us to, to look at and to begin to see what Jesus said. You know, Jesus was never shy about talking about money. In fact, next week, I want us to look at Matthew 6, where Jesus says, uh, you can't serve both God and money. Meaning the only thing that Jesus ever compared himself, he never compared himself to another God. He only compared himself to the God of money. Because our money says in God we trust, but how many of y'all know we replace in God we trust with in money we trust? And so as we look at this, notice what happens in Luke chapter 12, because Jesus is teaching. And as he's teaching, there's a man who shows up And let's look back at the text. It says this. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So I I like this setup because here's the setup. If you go back to Luke chapter 12, Jesus is actually teaching his disciples on a totally different subject. He's actually preaching to them Uh, about being persecuted and how to respond to persecution. He's actually teaching them uh, that when they stand on trial, that the Holy Spirit will give them the words to say, so trust God. But as he takes a break, all of a sudden some dude in the crowd who has not been listening to his former message, but now just wants to bring his message. He's kind of just speaking and blurting out what's ever on the top of his brain. And the thing that's on the top of this guy's brain is his money. Remember Snoop Dogg? I got my mind on my money. I my money on my mind. Okay. Some of y'all not saved. But anyways, that's what's on the top of his brain. Jesus pauses. Like, okay, cool. Cool. My question. Many times I notice that this can be what's happening for us. We can be in a faith environment, but all of the worries of the day, all of the pressures of the hour is the only thing that we're really thinking about. So here's this guy, he's like, Jesus, Jesus, hey, good message, my question. What's his question? He's like, my question is, uh, my dad just died, 
and my brother, who must be his older brother because he's in charge of the estate, can you tell him to give me my fair share of the inheritance? How many of y'all know uh, when a rich man dies, the vultures come out? It's fascinating because here is this father who's passed away and there's not a question about how do I find comfort? How do I find remorse? All he wants to know is how do I get my money? How many of y'all know um, there's nothing like family drama? There's nothing like family drama with money, right? I have a friend who is in uh, personal banking and he was telling me just some horror stories he was telling me a story just the other day that this past summer that this man, this gentleman who was very, very wealthy was getting ready to die. But even before he died, the children of this man continued to call him and say, what am I getting? What am I getting? What am I getting? We know that one of the leading causes of divorce is finances. That, that money in our relationships causes drama. Money in our relationships causes division. Money in our relationships sometimes brings out the worst parts of who we are. So here's this man. I gotta give him credit. At least he's bringing his question to Jesus. But Jesus responds and he's like, yo, who on earth is making me the judge and the arbiter of, of your stuff? No, 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 no. He's like, I'm, I'm not doing that. In fact, what he says is in verse 15, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Notice he says, watch out for all kinds of greed. This is the word that Jesus says, instead of solving the man's problem, he gives the man a warning. But the warning is not just for the man, the warning is for all of us. And what is his warning? He says, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed comes in all sorts of different types of forms. First Timothy chapter six, verse 10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Meaning greed has caused much sorrow in the world. I think about in the Bible, the seven deadly sins. Greed is one of them. Greed corrupts us. But greed is not just about money. Greed goes into all sorts of areas of our life. Greed is a spiritual disease of the heart affecting all areas of a person's life. I, I Googled greed this week, and this is what I got. Greed is an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. But how many of y'all know that a person can be greedy for more than just money? They can be greedy for fame, greedy for possessions, greedy for attention, Greedy for compliments, gifts. Greedy for people's time. Greedy for likes, hello. Greedy for views. We can be greedy for all sorts of things. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, watch out for this and be on guard against this. Now, what I've learned about people and myself is that we read this passage and somehow when we read this warning that Jesus is telling to all of us, we sort of, give ourselves a pass, don't we? We're like, nah, nah, man, I deal with some stuff, but greed's not one of them. I got some other issues, but come on, man. I can't be greedy. Why? Because many of us have bought into the lie that people who are greedy are only people who have excessive means. Some of you are like, nah, I can't be greedy, bro. I'm not rich. No pun intended, but you know. <laughs> 
I'm not rich, I, I can't be greedy. Which I would submit to you, if that is your philosophy, then you need to get, a, you need to get more perspective. You live in America. There's a Wall Street Journal article that came out in 2018 that if you live in America, even if you're in the middle class or even if you're poor in America, you are still earning 10 times more than the rest of the world. So I know you might not be rich compared to Elon, but when you start comparing your status of living to the woman living in Port-au-Prince, trust me, you rich dog. But the other, I think, lie that we buy into is that we go, oh, um, poor people can't be greedy but nothing could be further from the truth. Sometimes it's poverty that perpetuates greed. You say, how do you know, Rich? Well, because there's another definition. I found this in vocabulary.com. <laughs> and what they say about greed is that greed, they describe it as ugly, insatiable, and gives us the origin word. Greed comes from the old English gradig or voracious, which means, watch this, always hungry for more. Always hungry for more. Do you find yourself in a place that you're always hungry for more? Jesus says to all of us, be on your guard, watch out. I'm not gonna solve all of your financial problems. What I am telling you is that you need to be on your guard and watch out. What I love about Jesus is that the way that we get on our guard and the way that we start to watch out is that we have to dismantle the paradigm of the world. And Jesus always does this because every vice of the enemy always begins with a lie. But Jesus is the word made flesh. The Bible is the sword of the spirit. And when Jesus speaks, he cuts through the devil's lies. And notice how he begins to dismantle this lie by giving us a truth statement. What is the truth statement? I want you to hear this. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Let's say that out loud together, ready? One, two, three. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is the truth statement that Jesus is trying to get into your heart. How do I watch out? How do I guard myself? By getting the truth into your heart. And the truth is this, that all your stuff, all your possessions, all the things that you accumulate, that does not define your life. What I see with so many people is that greed begins with this little tiny lie, and that little lie is, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. I don't have enough. Many people find themselves in financial chaos today, not because they didn't have enough, but because they were fixated on more. And if I could get one little phrase into your heart, if you could just take one thing away today and remember on Tuesday, hear me loud and clear. Enough is not too little. Enough is not too Little. Many people find themselves in debt, find themselves bankrupt, not because they didn't have enough, but because they were fixated on getting more. Yeah. 
What we're gonna talk about, I think, in week four is this idea of stewardship. And part of being a good steward is learning to live below your means. That's not American culture, that's not pop culture, that's kingdom culture. That I start to live below my means. I was um, talking to my brother-in-law, Dakota, who's over there at the city day, and Dakota, uh, in March of next year, is turning 30. And uh, I was like, man, what are you gonna do for your 30th birthday? And we've been talking about it for like last year. He's like, bro, I wanna go golfing in Scotland. He's like, it's one of my dreams. It's on the bucket list. I'm gonna go golfing in Scotland. I'm like, bro, that's amazing, you know? Awesome, Scotland. Not for me, I don't golf, but shout out to you, Scotland. All right, you know, bagpipes, that sounds not fun, but okay, you know? He's like, I'm going to Scotland, I'm going to Scotland. We, I, 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 kind of, you, how's Scotland, bro? I can't, I'm, I'm planning, I'm looking Scotland. It's gonna be incredible 30, you know? And, the other day, I said, Dakota, how's, um, how's your 30th birthday planning going? He goes, it's going great, man. I said, so you're going to Scotland? He said, no, we changed it. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it was too expensive. I said, what are you gonna do? He said, we're going to Scottsdale. <laughs> uh, that's a wise man. I can't afford Scotland right now, so I'm gonna reroute to Scottsdale. And some of us, like this is, I know it's like some of you are like, come on, get to some deep stuff, but this is deep for a lot of people here. Cause some of you got those like Tuscany dreams, but you got Tuscaloosa money. <laughs> are we allowed to say this, you know? Oh my gosh, you know? I just wanna to go to Rome, Italy. Yo, you better be able to form Rome, Georgia, okay? Like, <laughs> before you go to Paris, France, have you ever considered Paris, Texas, okay? Like, like, like you've gotta live below your means. Enough is not too little. In fact, this is just really, really good teaching because you need to get this. One of the greatest financial skills that you can learn, but God's word will teach you one of the greatest financial skills is that as your life begins to grow, you can't always keep moving the goalposts further. You know what I mean by that? It's like you get a promotion at work, it's like I got a 10% raise and so now you want a 10% bigger apartment. You didn't actually get ahead, you're just in the same place as you were. And people don't get this, that we have this belief that I need more, and if I get more, then somehow when I get there, I'll be happy, but you won't. You'll just want more and more and more. I, I love this thought because Dakota, in his decision, is living out this principle. There is no reason to risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need. Can you just get that into your heart today? <laughs> Write that down. There is no reason to risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need. Do not buy into the lie that I have to get more. What does it profit you to take one step ahead but then move the goalpost two steps ahead? You're gonna have to learn stewardship about living below your means. And what I've learned and what I've seen in so many people just watching people is that many times ambition grows faster than satisfaction. So our ambition keeps driving us. But as I get there, I'm never, ever fulfilled. I'm always longing for more. How does Jesus begin to dismantle this lie in our life? Well, he does what Jesus always does. He tells us a story. 
And I believe he tells us a story because it's in stories that we remember and it's in stories that we can begin to see ourselves. Here's the story that he tells. He tells a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. There I will store my surplus of grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So Jesus begins showing us with a case study of what greed looks like. And notice this greedy man as he begins to describe him. Notice what the man does. The man has this year of abundance where the crops are quite large. And then the scripture says he thinks to himself, then he says to himself, then he says to himself again. What you're quickly seeing about this greedy man is that this greedy man is a selfish man. Because it's selfishness that produces greed, only thinking about yourself. I find the text interesting because every one of us, we need to be very, very careful when we're only talking to ourselves. When you're only talking to yourself about yourself, when you're telling yourself who you are, when you're justifying yourself, when you're just having your own little conversation, be careful of that voice because that voice is the voice of selfishness. There is another voice. It's the voice of God and God has a different pathway. This man has a harvest and he says, you know what I'm gonna do? This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna tear down my barn, build a bigger barn so I can put all my surplus up in that barn and then I can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This man is selfish. He is only thinking about himself. There's no room in his paradigm. There's no room in his mindset for sharing. It's just about what he can get. This phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, this is the philosophy of hedonism. Hedonism is the belief that life is all about my pleasure, that whatever I can get that's gonna make me feel good, that's justified and that is good. Make no mistake, in America right now, we are living in a hedonistic culture. I can do whatever I want with my body, I can do whatever I want with my money. Whatever I feel like doing, I should be able to do. It is the anthem and the creed of hedonism. Eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus, he comes at it and he says, no, no, my friend, you are missing it. This man in the text believes that if he can continue to consume, he will be happy forever. But I wanna say it this way, consumption does not lead to contentment. Consumption does not lead to contentment. I look around the world today and consumerism is everywhere. I was on the phone with my children last night. They are in Shreveport, Louisiana. Dawn Shree's preaching for her, her dad this morning and I was FaceTiming with my little boys and man, these little kids, bro. Uh, they call their, their grandparents uh, Pop and Zaza. And Wyatt told me last night, he said, he said Dad, he said, uh, Zaza's church is better than our church. I said, what did you say? I said, I created you, bro. I can take you out and make another one tomorrow. I said, what, you, what are you talking about? He said, oh, Zaza's church is way better than our church. I go, tell me more, you know? 
I'm like, well, you know, what is it? The spirit of God is there? You know, like just, I go, why, why is it better? He goes, they have a playground. I said, listen to me. We are Wilkerson's. We are not gonna make decisions about what we can get. We're gonna make decisions about what we can give. But that little boy sounds like a lot of adults that I know. Because consumerism is not just the current condition of the culture, consumerism has become the climate of the church. What is consumerism, you say? Consumerism is this economic system that truly preys on our insecurity and, and, and plays towards our flesh. It was born out of the 50s and the 60s with the production as it began to grow and the advertising boom. And understand that all advertising does two things. It plays to your fear and your desires. And what we've allowed to happen is we've allowed magazines and social media to shape our paradigm of what contentment looks like. And our measuring stick is just coming from all the people that we're watching. And so they tell us all these different types of lies. They say things like your diamond ring, the bigger, the better, the house, the bigger, the better. And we buy into it. We put ourselves into debt. We put ourselves into financial chaos. Think about our holidays. My God, we've taken every holiday that we've got and turned it into an excuse to shop. Jesus's birthday is the day that everybody gets gifts, but Jesus. What are we talking about? What are we talking about? All the products that we have. You get a phone, you need a new phone next year. You get a car, you need a new car next year. I went to go buy a car this, about two weeks ago, and we bought a 2021 uh, 4Runner. Shout out to the Toyota family. I'm part of it now. Um, people are like, no, America. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, but the guy was trying to sell me a 2024. I was like, what's, what's the difference? He's like, well, this one's cheaper. I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> there is no difference. It's the same car, but they wanna sell me on a lie. They want me to buy into something called consume, consume, consume. More, what can you get? What can you, because if you can consume, you'll be happy. If you can eat, drink, you'll be married. The more you take in, the happier you'll be. Would you believe this? That one of the fastest growing real estate markets in America, get ready, storage units. I got so much stuff, I got no place to put my stuff that I need a place for my stuff. Stuff that I don't even know I have. Stuff that no one sees, but I wanna let you know I got stuff, bro. Stuff. Stuff, 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 stuff. Greed is always self-centered and never satisfied. And make no mistake about it, consumerism is a religion. And it's all over, even in our churches. Look at what the Christian writer Joe Terrell says. This is amazing. He says, our temples, our malls, and digital storefronts. Our altars, our checkout counters, and online baskets. Our priests, our advertising agencies, our sacrifices are the dollars in our checking accounts, and God is our unmet desires. And Jesus boldly pierces through that lie 
and says, life is, does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Oh, I'm not greedy. Are you sure? Because Jesus challenges all of us to watch out and be on our guard. Jesus makes it clear this man is greedy. He makes it clear this, plant, this man is selfish. But notice what he says here in Luke chapter 12 as we come to a close. I want you to hear this. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. What you find out about this man that Jesus is breaking down is the man isn't just greedy, he's not just selfish. According to Jesus, he's foolish. You fool. This very night your life might be demanded from you. Then what is all of your barns gonna do? Then what is all of your wealth gonna do? You are foolish. He doesn't say that eating's wrong. He doesn't say that drinking's wrong. He certainly doesn't think that being merry is wrong. Eating, drinking, being merry, these are all gifts from God. But what he's coming at is he's saying, this can't be your sole motivation. Life does not consist for your sheer pleasure. All of your prosperity, as we looked at last week, is not simply for pleasure. Prosperity has to have a purpose. Provision has to have a vision. Money must have a mission. There's gotta be a reason for it. And he says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. You're foolish. Your, your, your greed, birth out of selfishness, has left you in a foolish spot. I don't like calling out names from a platform, but that's the case study. One guy who's just a janitor and the other guy who's got all the accolades, but foolishness robs them from having purpose. Jesus says, how dare you live life being rich, but never be rich towards me. And I just thought today, as we come around to close, kind of giving you a little bit where we're headed, I wrote it in this way, if you're fooling around, why not make a decision today to foolproof your finances? How do I foolproof my finances? How do I watch out and be on guard for greed? Because I think this is something that we all struggle with. It's not just Wyatt who's going to a church saying, do they have a playground? There's adults. What songs are they singing? I don't like the lighting. This is all a consumer mentality that's creeping in about what can I get? What's in it for me? I think the first thing that's really, really simple if you wanna guard yourself against greed, not be foolish, is that you need to practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. Like, and before we even go big with it, just start small with it. Start saying thank you. Count how many times you say thank you in a day. Like it's really, Sunday should be the easiest day. When you pull into the parking lot, Roll down your window and say thank you to the guy who's in the orange vest. They're not an employee, they're like you. They just got here earlier than you. They're just trying to give up their, their talent. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Someone welcomes you, hey, thanks for welcoming, man. Just start saying thank you. You meet someone, hey, th hey thanks, good to meet you. It's amazing how you start practicing gratitude. You're at a restaurant, say thank you. Now I'm paying them, stop, stop it. You're not in this world, you're, come on. Just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.
I don't know, like, I love you. Like, it's my joy to serve you. I love you, I'm for you. I'll fight for you, bro, I love you. Don't let someone talk bad about you, I love you. But dude, what do you need to see this week for you to recognize, oh my God, I'm so grateful I live in this nation. I, I know you, I know your job's not going perfect. I know you didn't get all the likes you wanted on social media, but there are people in the Middle East that are dying. How dare we as believers in Jesus not just stop and say, whoa, thank you, God. I don't think that you should feel ashamed that you live here or feel bad. I think you should be grateful. Just, God, I'm grateful. See, when I practice gratitude, it stops me from taking things for granted. Thank your spouse on the way home. Just try that. Just thank them. Hey, thanks for, thanks for being with me. Thank your kids. Kids, thank your parents. Like, it, it's amazing how it shifts the atmosphere, how it stops you from just thinking about you. It stops you from being selfish. It stops you from being foolish. Oh, man, I got all this stuff. I got this cool, hairy sweater, bro. But, like, <laughs> thank you. Like, I'm okay without it, but thanks. Wow, these are sick. My life is not these pinstripe pants, but thank you. It just, it starts safeguarding your heart. I'm just grateful. Grateful. How much does God have to bless you before you're happy? How much? How much does God have to bless you before you can start to be generous? That's what the whole thing is. Wait till I get my money right. You are buying into a lie. I'll tell you what, when I make that money, you watch. I'm gonna be, you won't be generous. It's always hard to be generous. How much does God have to bless you before you'll obey him? What, what do you need from God for you to serve him? Practice gratitude number two, just quickly. How do we, how do we safeguard ourselves? You have to exercise generosity. You have to exercise it. You have to generosity is defined by giving more than what is required. So look at every area of your life. What's the requirement? Generosity means I'm gonna go above it. I'm gonna go above it. You don't build anything great with a spirit of obligation. Things that are great, that sustain, that last, that are kingdom work is always birthed out of generosity. Not manipulation, not coercion, but people being led to be generous. Notice this man. I'm gonna build a bigger storehouse. Moves the goalposts. He fills his storehouse to a place that's overflowing, tears down and builds larger. It's a picture of consumerism. He's just trying to get and get and get. Let me consume, let me consume, let me consume. Side note, just basic psychology. You will not be happy if you're only consuming. That's not where happiness comes from. Happiness is always birthed in production, in producing something. That's why you can find some kid who's the trust fund kid, and they're miserable to the point of suicide. It's because all they've ever done in life is just received, 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 received. But the blessing's not in the receiving. The blessing, hello, is Jesus' words. It's in the giving. But so it is with your work, and so it is with your life. It's, it's about producing. It's about giving something. This man just continues to say, let me just build a bigger barn so that I can live off of my stuff, me, myself, and I. What should I do? What do I think? I'll say to myself, this is hedonistic. And what I would say to you and what I would say to that man is choose a better storehouse. 
choose a better storehouse. Malachi chapter three, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Do you believe that or not? It's not a prosperity gospel message. That's Malachi. (laughs) That's a prophet of God. Psalm 31, verse 19, how great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. Isaiah 33, six, and he will be the stability of your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. God's storehouse is never ending. Mercies are new every morning. There's joy, there's peace. He owns it all. Ephesians chapter two, verse seven, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus says to the man who's asking about his inheritance, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist, watch it, in an abundance of possessions. But in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus tells us where abundance lies. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I can, that they may have life and life more abundantly. God is not against abundance. He's just saying, I am the source of that abundance. Not your stuff, but your savior. When I was younger, if I was doing something silly, my dad would say, Rich, stop fooling around. You know, as a little kid, you always think to yourself, I'm gonna be so different from my dad until you have your own kids. And I find myself the other day in the car with the kids going, boys, Stop fooling around. I wonder today if we can hear from our heavenly father who's looking upon us, who call ourselves Christians when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our stuff. I wonder if God is saying to many of us, stop fooling around. Your life can be demanded from you right now. Have you been rich towards God? Have you been generous towards others? Don't find yourself losing everything to greed. Don't find yourself living a self-absorbed, selfish life. Don't find yourself being foolish. For the foolish man's house built on that sand, it will be destroyed and it will not last. But Jesus says, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. How many believe that he's got abundance for us? Come on, put your hands together. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. 
I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps on your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com slash online. We love you.